I want to take as my uh, text this morning that uh, second reading from Revelation, John's Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and if you're making use of the uh, Pew Bible, uh, you can uh, find that text on page 1233. Page 1233, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, which I'd like to read again so it's fresh in our minds. Revelation chapter 21, and beginning at verse 1, in which John, the beloved disciple, one of the sons of Zebedee, as you may recall, he's stranded. In fact, he has been exiled by the Romans on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. And he writes this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This morning I want to talk about when God makes earth his final dwelling place. When God makes earth his final dwelling place. Generally speaking, when Christians think about the final state of things and the end of life as they now know it, they tend to think of the ultimate end in, in terms of going to be with God in heaven. However, if we read the scriptures a little bit more closely, what we find is, is that being with God in heaven after physical death is only a temporary experience and that our ultimate and final experience of God will be when God makes his final dwelling place with us here on earth. And that's what John is talking about here in our text from Revelation 21. And still John says that before God makes, his, uh, makes the earth his final dwelling place, John says that he will transform it. He will change it. He will clean it up. He will make it fit for himself and for his people. Indeed, notice again verse 1 of chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now what we have in our text is the beginning of John's final vision of things to come, which is a vision of a, uh, uh, the, the final and everlasting state of God's 
universal kingdom reign. He is seeing how it's all going to be and how it all will everlastingly be. And what John sees is a new heaven and a new earth. For as John says, the first heaven and the first earth as we now know it had in his vision passed away. And so John says that before God makes earth his final dwelling place, he will transform it. That is to say, he will renew it. He will, if you like, recreate it. Uh, even as he does in the life of a believer. You remember uh, John uh, writing, or excuse me, Paul writing to the Corinthians and he said, if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Now, uh, having said that, that doesn't mean that the person who is touched by God is no longer the same person that he or she was before God came and did this radical thing. But, but, uh, but this change is, um, it is radical. And yet there is a sense of continuity. And so while God um, will recreate and change, he doesn't destroy and start again, but he renews. Or as Peter put it in another place in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, and according to God's promise, in fact we believe this because God said it, <laughs> according to God's promise we are awaiting a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And that will be part of the nature of the renewal. In fact, what we will experience in this final state will be the ultimate fulfillment of what we will have been praying for for years when we said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In that day, that will come to pass in all of its completeness. And so John says that before God makes earth his final dwelling place, he will transform it. Indeed, it was God who created the earth and the heavens to begin with, and he will recreate it. No problem. He will transform it into what he always meant it to be from the start. And then John says that after God transforms the earth, he will take up residency with us in it. Notice again verses 2 and 3. And John says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. We usually think we go up. <laughs> but here he says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. A bit of a wedding motif. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with humanity, anthropos. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the final state. Chapters 21 and 22 our description of that in John's revelation. Now, Jerusalem signifies God's special dwelling place all through the Old Testament or even uh, in the New Testament. Well, you remember when Jesus was in the temple and he took uh, exception to the way in which uh, they were turning it into just a, a commercial enterprise. He said, you are making what? My father's house. 
a den of robbers. All right. The temple in Jerusalem, sometimes referred to as Zion. All right. And so, for as an example, in Psalms 132, in verse 13, we read, And the Lord has chosen Zion, that is Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling place. So Jerusalem comes down. In this final vision, John sees Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God, descending from heaven, new and refreshed and ready to go. Indeed, John uh, says that he sees it descending and he uses a simile like a, like a bride adorned for her husband. Linda and I were married in J July, the 21st of 1990. And that's a long time ago. We were going on 32 years. And the organ is playing the trumpet tune and the trumpet voluntary it was just like it was this great event. But it wasn't until I was standing at the front and she came around with her father and hit those church doors and was ready to come down. And everybody turned around. And wow. <laughs> In her mother's dress. And it was extraordinary. And that's what John is saying. He's saying, I can't believe the beauty of this thing. I mean, who can look away? Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And so he sees all of this. And that, but then he hears uh, something as well, an, an, ex, an explanation of what he's saying. Indeed, notice again verse 3, and I heard of a loud voice. What does this mean? I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with humanity. And he will dwell with them. How long? Everlastingly. From this beginning Till, to, till forever. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. As their God. And so John says that in, that in the end. It's not going to be us going up to heaven. In fact, if we should die before all of this starts. And our spirits are separated from our bodies which is what death means. It means separation. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we say to, uh, we comfort one another and then the believer passes and we say, well, she's in a better place or he's in a better place, that's true. But that's not the end. That is not the, termin the Latin terminus ad quem. That's not the end and the point. That is, if you like, a waiting room for what is coming ultimately. And that's what John is describing here. This is how, uh, how Jesus coming back and, and, and resurrection taking place and so on. That's what all of that has to do. It has to do with this. You need to be resurrected and given a resurrection body so that you can experience this everlastingly. Immor Im uh, immortal mortality must put on immortality because this will never end. And so it's not, it's not about us going up to God. 
You see, the Greeks, that's a Greek idea, by the way, and it's very influential. I, I hear it all the time. I read it all the time. I read it in commentaries. I read it in the notes of study Bibles. I hear it from preachers on TV and preachers who are not on TV, as if the point is to go to heaven. But that's not the point. That's a Greek idea. The Greeks believed that material was evil, and so the, to, to shed yourself of the material uh, is the point. And to live in a, in a bodiless existence is what the Greeks, in fact, a, a New Testament uh, scholar, N.T. Wright, who talks about uh, the Western civilization and, and Uncle Plato. <laughs> That we're more actually influenced by Uncle Plato than we are by the writers of the Bible, by Jesus and the New Testament. But we're dealing with that now. And maybe if we're lucky, we can maybe change your mind about this. If your mindset is like most people. And so John says in the end, it's not going to be up to heaven to live with God, but rather in the end it will be God coming down to earth to live with us. And there's hints of this all around in the, in the, in the Bible, and we don't always see it in the Old Testament as well as in, in the New. In fact, there's this famous passage from Job, which Job says in Job chapter 19 and verse 25, he says this, he says, for I know my Redeemer lives. I know God lives. And at the last, in the last day, he will stand upon the earth. <laughs> How interesting. And in my flesh, I shall see God. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And John says that God taking up residency on earth will not only involve this transformation of the earth, as we just read about, but it will also affect us. Indeed, notice verse 4. And when this all comes about, he, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the same phrase that we had in our text last week when we were in Revelation chapter 7. And I mentioned, you, you, know, you know how close you have to get <laughs> to wipe away someone's tears? At least within arm's distance. <laughs> and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. I just got word this morning. People are contacting me in prayers and so on. Somebody been praying for and this person who's been asking me to pray keeps me informed and, and the person for whom we were praying succumbed finally to cancer and died this morning, early. And I wrote back and I said, praying. And I said, my text this morning is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. And verse 4 says, and death shall be no more. <laughs> there will be no death in this state that we're describing. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, John says, has passed away. 
And so John says that when God takes up residency with us on earth, we will be affected by it. He will wipe away every tear. Ever, you know, your heart hurts so much that tears come? That's pain. No more tears and no more death. In fact, Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 22nd of his first letter, he wrote this, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And there will be no death there. John says there'll be no more mourning there. That is the response to loss through death. What did Jesus say again in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount? And blessed are those who mourn. Which seems it's the strangest thing to say. Wait a minute, Lord. Did you get that right? Blessed? Yes. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. John says there'll be no crying, no pain. For John says that the former things will have passed away. The things that we're experiencing now, the things that make us weep, the things that make us mourn. In fact, in Isaiah 65 and verse 17, God said through the prophet, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You'll be too distracted. You'll be filled with too much joy. You'll be too content, too peaceful. When you read Revelation and you see what people are doing, in relation to God and the kingdom yet to come. Their total focus is on the greatness and the majesty and the power and the graciousness and the mercy and the love of God. <laughs> in fact, I think it was the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans who said, these light momentary afflictions can't compare with the weight of glory that shall be ours when God's kingdom comes. And John says that these promises that God has made to us and the plans that he has for us are sure to be fulfilled. Notice, notice again verses 5 and 6. And this is very interesting. And he who was seated on the throne. This is only one of two instances in the book of Revelation where God actually speaks for himself. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, write it down. <laughs> write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, John, it's done. It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so God says to John that he will make all things new. And God tells John, and write it down. Because what I'm saying to you, John, is trustworthy and true. You can count on it. John, whether you believe or not, this is going to happen. Just like I said. And these are the sorts of things that Jesus promised as well. 
This was a man who said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And the third day I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now, if he hadn't risen, I would say, well, <laughs> yeah, right. But he did rise. And God says to John, write it down. Because you can count on it. Indeed, he says that he's the Alpha and the Omega. I don't know if you realize the significance of this. Uh, the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet and Omega is the last. We would say from A to Z, which is a way of saying everything. And then he says that he's the beginning and the, and the end. That is that he, God is the beginning of all things and he is the end or the consummation of all things. And he will control the end just in the way that he controlled the beginning. Indeed, God brought everything into existence. He's the creator of all things and he will be the recreator of all things. And interestingly, he says that in his eternal mind, because God is above the time-space continuum. He is not subject to time and space. He exists above and beyond it. He says, in my mind, John, this is done. It's done. In fact, in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, God speaking through the prophet said, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things not yet done, like what we're talking about this morning, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all that I purpose. It was Max Licato who famously said, and I've quoted him many times. He said, whether you're nine or 90, life is short, and the kingdom of God lasts forever. I wonder, are you ready for that kingdom? Because some are ready and, and some aren't. In fact, notice again verses 6 through 8. Six is a part of our text, and seven and eight just continue on. Notice. And the Lord said to me, John says, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers, the one who continues, the one who, is, in other words, is faithful to me, will have this heritage, this is his future, her future, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, for the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It was Paul who wrote famously to the Romans and he said, and we know that God causes all things together to work together for good. For those who love God <laughs> and for those who are called according to his purpose. I wonder, do you love God? 
And are you called according to his purpose? And if, you, if not, maybe that's something you want to get figured out. Well, there's still time. Before all of this begins to unfold. An apostolic message. <laughs> and one we hear frequently from Christ himself. When God makes earth his final dwelling place. Let us pray. Lord, this makes us think of your words to Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not hurt you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If that's what we want. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that that's what we would want. As Hans Kug said, that I became a Christian that I might be truly human. And you created us in your image and likeness, Lord, to live in communion with you. And what is human existence and life without you? But a life of isolation of the creature from the creator. You start in the garden. You commune, you commune with the first man and the first woman. It all goes haywire. You send the sun to get it turned around. And then you call us to accept the remedy. That we might be in the garden again. That paradise that was lost might be found. And that we might be part of it. Give us an appetite for such things, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.